We are in the tail end of a summer series that we've been calling Under the Sun, and we've been studying this book of Ecclesiastes, the wisdom writings of Solomon, in a review of his life. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, we're going to ask a really important question. And before we do, I just want to set it up briefly to kind of give a, a review of where we've been. Ecclesiastes is sometimes a really hard and challenging book to read or even study because much of what it does, as Solomon thinks about his whole life that he lived, he dismantles all of the things in his life that turned out to be meaninglessness in the end. Stuff that was vanity, lacked substance, lacked purpose, lacked any kind of value in this life. And so we can often read Ecclesiastes and think, my goodness, what are we even supposed to do with our lives? Uh, to what shall I liken the study of Ecclesiastes? I would say, I want you all to think back to your time in school and whatever school you went to. And remember that moment when you're sitting in a class and you're taking these, you're studying, for me it was like studying Spanish. Why on earth does a kid living in Boise, Idaho need to learn Spanish? And so you look around and you ask that in question that all of us have to get through at one point. What do I need this for? And then you ask the other students, and you're like, I don't know. Ecclesiastes, essentially, is Solomon asking all of you, what is the point? Why do we need anything that we need? And if you think back to that time in your life when you realize that much of your education, I hate to tell you, is meaninglessness. It doesn't actually apply to your life. Much of what you learn from elementary school to high school and college, you look back and you're like, I forgot it all. I didn't need to be in the class. It was all pointless. And the danger of coming to that realization, just like the danger of studying Ecclesiastes only up to this point, is that you could throw your hands in the air and say, it doesn't even matter what I do then. And the danger would be that you drop out or you lose an interest in learning or you lose education or you lo lose the vision that God maybe could use something in your life in ways that you don't expect. So in my own example, for those of you who know, my wife is Colombian and she's speak Spanish, and my in-laws speak Spanish, and I certainly need it later in life. So be encouraged, all you students that are about to leave here thinking, I just got licensed for my church to drop out of school and never return again. You're going to need it someday. And the question that we're going to ask in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is this, how shall we live? If so much of life is like school, when you look back on it, it was purposelessness. It didn't matter. It's not anything of substance. The really important question, lest we throw up our hands to life and drop out, is, well, what then shall we do? How should we live? And last week, we, we, we came to this magnum opus of the vanity of life, which is we're living in a world of, world of fools. Most of us are going to make all sorts of foolish mistakes. We're going to work hard, and our work is going to fall on our heads, and we're still going to mess up. And sharing all of my foolish mistakes was the best sermon I ever preached. I had more people come up and say that was a relatable sermon than anything I ever shared. Because everybody can relate to vanity and meaninglessness and foolishness. And the important thing is, if you dismantle so much of life to remove all of the things that don't matter, what are you replacing it with? What are you actually doing with your life? And today, to give an outline of the question that we're going to answer, given to us by the wisdom of Solomon, to now insert what you should do, how shall we live? Here's a breakdown of what we're going to look at this morning in uh, chapter 11 outline. First little section that Solomon is going to insert something of value for you to leave and not give up on life is to find your life's investment. 
to realize that you are going to invest in something. Even the kid that dropped out had to do something with his time. He may have come, become really good at video games and asking his parents for money, but he did something with his life. And same with you. You can dismantle all sorts of things and expose them as chasing the wind, but what will you invest your life in? The second part of this will be your life's assessment. How do you measure what is good and how to make a move, how to step out in faith, how to do something rather than nothing? And then finally, life's judgment. Something for all of us to keep in mind as we consider life under the sun is your life actually does have a grade. One of the things in the educational run that keeps people aware of the importance of the classroom knowledge is that they are being judged. And so it is this morning. We're going to look at part of the insert of meaning and purpose to a world of fools and vanity is that there is judgment. It does matter what you do with your life because there is something beyond the sun by which you will give an account. But we start with the investment of your life. He says in verse one, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days, giving a servant to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. So uh, now we've entered into the section of Ecclesiastes that, that unfolds a lot like the Proverbs, and which takes a second to think about. Most of you probably don't use the phrase cast, phrase, cast your bread upon the waters, knowing that they'll return to you. And most of you probably don't even think about how you can multiply bread. So the understanding to bring it up to speed for us is that Solomon is saying, you could hold on to your grain, bread being something that is represented by the seed of grain that will make bread. You can hold on to it. You can keep it to yourself. In other words, you can do nothing with your life. But if you give it away, if you throw bread or the grain of bread onto water, eventually Giving something away will come back to you. And that's why he says, for, many for after many days, it will return. There is a temptation to view all of the things that we've looked at as vanity and say, well, then I'll just do nothing. I'll just keep the life that I have, and I'll hold on to the stuff that I have, and I'll live in a basic routine that will get me from here until heaven, and I'll do nothing. And Solomon inserts and says, well, think about your life in the way that you think about actually providing food for yourself. At a certain point, if you hold on to the grain for too long, you're out of seeds and you're no, you no longer have anything coming in. It's why people can't just quit their jobs and they can't just quit on life because they need something coming in to keep going. And the temptation is to just paralyze yourself and do nothing. And the way that Solomon now will help us understand this beyond making bread is in the concept of generosity. He says, giving a servant to seven, also to eight. So think about it in the way that you can serve people, you can love people. So investing your seed to get, investing your grain to get bread is the same way that you invest into people's life, knowing that as you make friends, as you build relationships, as your generosity pours into people's life, there will be a return on the investment of your giving. That's the concept. And this has a concept that is true under the sun, and it is true in everything you pursue in your life with God. In your life with God, you are given every spiritual blessing under a heaven. The inheritance that you receive is now. You have the gifts of the Spirit. You have the knowledge of God's Word. You have the power to follow His perfect will for your life, and you are being poured into now as I sow seeds into your heart. And the question is, what do you do with it? Do you take it and gather it up into your heart and leave here and go about your routine just to come back next week and never actually do anything? 
Never do anything with the word of God. Never do anything with the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Never do anything with the open doors that are this sanctuary, sending you out into the real world until I see you again. And here's the first message of urgency for you this morning. He says, you better be generous and you better sow some seeds to get some bread for you do not know what evil will be on earth. Remember, as we study this book, evil is not just cruelty. It's not just something that is completely wicked. It also can be a synonym for tragedy. So Solomon is saying, invest now. Be generous now. Take the commands of God to love him and love your neighbor, a servant of seven, yes, of eight, now because you are not so sure how long you have before the timeline is over and you can no longer sow the seeds. What tragedy may befall your life is completely unknown to you. So lest this be a, a scolding just from the, the teacher to the students here, I share with you a positive example of someone that did this well. It's been on my heart recently because we just had a view of a 40-year anniversary since a great tragedy fell upon someone who lived his life well. I'll share a quote to you from Keith Green. He says this, This generation of Christians is responsible for the generation of souls on earth. He looked at his life as a window of time and responsibility that because he knew the Lord, he actually was responsible for the soul care of the earth. And we came up on a 40-year anniversary on July 28, 1982. He and 10 other people within his ministry got onto a plane right after preaching the gospel. And the plane went up into the air and it crashed onto the earth into a ball of flames, killing everyone on board. A man who saw his responsibility on earth to sow the seeds of truth to a generation that was lost. He got saved in 1975. And for seven years, he lived his life to use every opportunity, all of his spiritual gifts, to write songs of praise and worship to the king that he loved and to bring people into his life so that they would know the generosity of God and the grace of God, so that they would know that God loves them and he would be a vessel of that love. He had seven years from 1975 to 1982, and he used them for the purposes of God's kingdom, not knowing the timeline. Because I assure you, he never thought getting into that plane would be his last plane ride. Preaching the gospel would be his last gospel presentation. And I share that with you now because tragedy will befall you. You have a window of time in your life to sow seeds, to cast out the word, to you, allow God to use your life for something more than the vanity that will be gone in a blink of an eye. And so Solomon says, don't lose heart, don't give up, make the most of the time that you have. Make an investment with your life that would have a return on investment. And I love the example of Keith Green. Because even as I was coming in this morning, I share uh, the slides with the projection team. So good at just helping get the word out in their own right. And one of the slides came up as the worship band was leaving, and it was Keith Green. And Lisa, the piano player, said, Keith Green. I love him so much. 
And his songs moved a generation to worship God and to be so radical for the gospel. And his seed that was sown for that seven-year window stands on our stage worshiping God and leading us in worship. I was sharing at the pastor's luncheon this week, and we had a guest worship leader come in. I'd never met him before. I said, tell me your story. How did you get into ministry? He said, when I was in sixth grade, I went to a Keith Green concert. And I said, I want to live my life to be like that guy. The man sowed seeds that are now returning to this day. There is a return on the investment in the kingdom of God that will make your life more valuable than what you have time to accomplish under the sun. And it is how the whole following of Christ and obeying his commandments work because the payoff is not now. Whatever you do to obey God's commandments will take your life of patience and endurance and a job well done when you meet him face to face to fully see the return. Pray, knowing that God hears your prayer and will answer in his time. Study his word, knowing that you are sealing his word into your heart so that it can blossom into something that will bless your life down the road. Love your neighbor. Take care of your kids. Be someone who answers the call of God on your life, knowing that it won't be for today. But there will be something that God does to open a door from a faith move that you make today to return the investment of his kingdom into your life for his glory and for your joy. What are you investing your life into? And so I love the timing of this. She stands on the stage and she opens a door for ministry and for prayer and for radical gospel work. And we're like, whoo. I'm not so sure that I'm ready for that. And Solomon's waiting for you. Because now we come to the second part of this chapter, which is the assessment of how you say yes and no. All of you, every single one of you, whether you came here a professing believer in Christ or not, all of you have a call on your life to glorify God. All of you were created from your mother's womb with a plan and a purpose to be used by God for his glory and purpose. And all of us, whether we believe that or not, have moments where we're not so sure. <laughs> have moments where we're not quite so sure we're actually willing to answer the call. And this is what Solomon is going to get at now. He says in verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves. The, the cloud can only have so much water in it before it just falls onto the ground. If a tree falls south or north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. There's a, there's a timeline on your life. Once it's over, it's over. There's no coming back. The boundaries are set, and you can do nothing to move them. And then he says this, for all of the ways that you have a good reason not to follow Jesus today, for all of the ways that the timing just isn't right, here's what Solomon is about to say to you. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So now we have the assessment of life. We have the opportunities of God to live for him, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. And we have what every single one of us have to deal with, which is the great excuses not to. And so the metaphor is still agriculture. The word goes out like seeds sown into the ground. And now extending into that metaphor, something we'll have to probably think about for a second because most of you probably aren't farmers, some of you are. But you think about sowing seeds. 
All right, so I need you to put on your agricultural farmer hat. I see, I see one in the front. God bless you, sir. <laughs> so you've got your hat on, and you grab the seeds in your hand. You go outside, you say, today is the day to plant. Today is the day for me to sow seeds, for me to invest in a way that will have a return. And you go outside, and then the wind blows right in your face. And you look at your seeds, and you think, well, I can't throw, I can't throw these now. I can't cast my seeds now. The wind will take them who knows where. And so what do you do? I'll come back tomorrow when the wind isn't so windy. And then fast forward a couple months. Now it's the time of harvest. So now you got the cowboy hat and you get the piece of wheat in your mouth so that you're like walking out to the harvest like a real farmer and overalls. Next time you have overalls on. <laughs> you go out there and it's time to harvest. You got all of the crops are ready to be brought into the barn. And you get out there and you look up and what do you see? a rain cloud, and you think, oh my goodness, if we start harvesting now, my tools could get wet, my overalls could get wet, the harvest could get damp, and I ruin in the mud, so I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. Solomon says, with that example, you keep doing that long enough. You keep measuring the wind and measuring the clouds, and you will actually never plant or harvest anything. And isn't it true? We live in a culture that analyzes to the point of being paralyzed, where everything has to be just right before you can do anything. And everybody's got a plan for their life that has to go just so. It's like, this is what I'm gonna do in high school and in college and my career, and then here, and then when the circumstances is right, I'm gonna review this message that I'm investing my life for the kingdom of God. I'm gonna come back to this, and you all have your timelines. And we all have our excuses. And this is as old as the initial invitation when Jesus was calling people to follow him 2,000 years ago. Luke chapter 9. Then he said to another, follow me. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself. Give your entire life to the will of God. It will bless your life. And one says, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Stop worrying about the people who have already died and start worrying about the kingdom of God and the power to preach so that dead can come back to life. You each have a call of God on your life and you all have amazing reasons to live life however you choose. And another also said, Lord, I will follow. But first let me go bid farewell to my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He got family emergencies. He got funerals to attend to. He got weddings to get to. You got people that you really enjoy the company of. You got an entire culture who is completely lost, living in dark, rejecting the light. And before you Follow God and become a light into the world. You have to say goodbye to the darkness. Let me just bid farewell real quick to all my friends who think I'm going to be crazy for believing what I believe and doing what God is calling me to do. The gospel is going to challenge your life. The gospel is going to crush your plans. God's call on your life is not going to fit in with your call on your life. Here's another way to put it in the Proverbs that is probably much more friendly. So, so track with me. Proverbs chapter three, verse five. You might want to underline this one if it isn't already. 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Okay. I have never verified this theory, but I suspect, and without gambling, be willing to put money on it. <laughs> that's probably the most tattooed verse in the Bible. We love it. <laughs> Sounds great. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your understanding. Remember, the Proverbs have to be thought about deeply. This verse is something that you actually hate. You do not love leaning on, not leaning on your own understanding. We all want to understand everything before we do it. We want to understand the plan to the detail. We want to have the circumstances of the wind and the clouds completely solved. Once God solves weather, you'll follow him. And once he explains every line item of doctrine and the functions of a church and the way that you're going to be funded for the next 20 years and how you are going to get through the ups and downs of ministry with every detail in the moment so you know them, then of course you'll follow. Except you never will. Because as long as you want to understand the plan, you will not obey the call. This is a, a quote that I've been sharing mostly so that I can reshare it with myself. But it really helps us understand the times that we're living in. C.S. Lewis actually wrote this in Mere Christianity around the Second Great War. But anything that is so powerful for a cultural moment seems to transcend that moment. And here we are in another one. Here, here's what he wrote for the likes of us who think that once Christianity makes perfect sense and the call becomes really easy to understand, you're going to do it. This is what you need to hear. The great difficulty is to get modern audiences to realize that you are preaching Christianity solely and simply because you happen to think it's true. They always suppose you're preaching it because you like it or think it good for society or something of that sort. So the, the, what C.S. Lewis is saying, the outside world thinks, of course you're preaching the gospel. This is, what, this is your preferred religion. This is what you like to believe in. This is the way that you find solace and comfort and happiness. And they're not wrong. That comes later. But an honest reading of the gospel, all of the initial interactions with Jesus come like a shock of water to the face. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Narrow is the way. Difficult is the road that leads to life. And Lewis is trying to help modern audiences and himself who he describes his own testimony as someone who was kicking and screaming as he was dragged into the kingdom of God. You need to hear this message not just for the audiences that you're sharing to, but for your own life. Lest you think you're being called into a way of life under the sun that you're going to love every aspect of. The call of God will initially scare you. It might depress you. It'll certainly challenge you. And it should, if done correctly, be so fearful that it brings you to your knees in desperation. That's the call of God on your life. If I waited to preach the gospel until I was comfortable with the sermon, none of you would hear me preach. I'm never comfortable. It's never done. I never like it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I happen to think it's true. I happen to think the most helpful thing that I can do with my life is to share the radical message of the God of love who sent his son to die on my behalf, to wipe away all of the pressure and guilt and burden of my sin and folly, which I admit to freely, 
and to give me newness of life, not because of my good works, which I would love to exchange with him, but because of his grace. That's why I preach. And I preach because I believe that in doing so, your life can also be blessed. But I don't think you'll like it. If I did think that, we probably wouldn't have Love Life Ministry coming here because I know some of you are uncomfortable. We probably wouldn't send people into the Congo to reach an entire continent of disenfranchised people. We wouldn't work with people with HIV and AIDS. We would be so paralyzed with the cultural norms and expectations of what we do and safety measures and risk that we would only do this. And this is your life under the sun inserting some sort of view on how to make sense of it all. You actually have to do the call of God. Any other replacement will eventually be vanity and a waste of time. And this is why we are at a passage of Scripture which perfectly aligns with the invitation to have you here this morning. It says in verse 5, you do not know what is the way of the wind. In other words, stop trying to predict the weather. You don't know it. The wind may come up. It may take the seeds to places you could never have gotten it to. It may die as soon as you throw it. And in the same way, to help you understand how arrogant you are to deny the call of God, he will say, in the same way, you don't know anything. You don't know how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. God has created life inside of the womb by a miracle. Life is a free gift of God, and it is a miracle of God. And in all of the thousands of years of science trying to understand and trying to deconstruct the universe and the creation in man, the only explanation for life is the miracle of God. We cannot play God with life. And one of the ways that Solomon will prove this to us is by reminding us once again we know nothing we don't know where weather is coming from or where it's going. We don't know the spark of life that takes these incredible coming together of man and woman and turn it into another human. And so who are we to say, who has license to enter into this world? And one of the great challenges of our generation is to say it would be better if someone was not born because life is so crazy and the circumstances that they'll be born into are so hard. And it would be better to spare them from the tragedy of life. You are playing the sovereignty of God with that argument. You do not know. There are some who are born into wealth and prosperity, and their life is tragic and ruined. So it's not wealth. There are some who are born into families who are thriving, and they're runaways, and they're broken in the end. There are some who are born into a church who leave and never come back. And the reverse is true of it all, too. There is no way for us to decide who should live and who shouldn't because, as it says, it is the work of God who makes everything. It is God who does everything. God controls the weather. God makes the plant grow. God brings life miraculously in his perfect timing, and God allows that life to walk in his perfect plan according to his sovereignty for his purposes. And so we have to live boldly with a message that I just shared that violates the cultural norm. And so you think, okay, 
I don't know if I can be bold. I don't know if I can open God's word and share truth. I don't know if I can step out into a call to do prayer walks and minister to people, to evangelize to the lost, to love my neighbor, to bring people to Christ. I don't know if I can do any of that. You're right, only God can. Your responsibility is to obey the call of God on your life. Everything else is his problem. And this is now the encouragement of the assessment of life. Here's how we take the investment and the return on the investment and actually say yes in verse 6. In the morning sow your seed. In the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper. You have no idea what's going to work. Either this or that or whether both alike will be good. You might plant in the morning. Fails. You might plant at night. It grows. Reverse could be true. Both could be true. Both could be false. You have no idea. So do it all is what Solomon's saying. Throw your seeds into the wind. Throw your seeds in the morning and at night. Preach the gospel. One thing I can encourage you in the gospel is that it shows no partiality. No one is off limits. And the other thing I can encourage you in the gospel, it seems to not fit into a formula. It doesn't seem to work that if you just do a concert outreach and then bring people into church and get them into kids' ministry, they'll become missionaries and world changers by the next 20 years. It could happen, but we don't know. Tracks at, at downtown, praying for people downtown. Uh, do it. Visit people in nursing homes. It's like, is this even working? You don't know. Sending people on short-term mission, medium-term mission, big long-term mission, do it all. Have a church this size. Okay, fine. Have a church that's 10 times this size. Do it. See what God does. Have house churches. Have community groups. Do everything that you can to obey the call of God radically and liberally and let everything else be up to him. Sow the seeds. You don't know what will work and what will, but God does. And our responsibility is to invest the seeds of God's word, to preach the gospel, and he does everything else. Some of you were born so that you could reach one person for the kingdom of God. If that's God's call on your life, you obey him and you will hear, well done, good faithful servant. Some of you were born to do uh, giant outreaches. You do that to God's glory you, and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It is up to him and all the glory goes to him and all the results are because of him and our responsibility is to sow the seed, to, to answer the call. Which brings us to the final way that we look at the measurements of life so that we don't throw up our hands and give up. We invest, expecting a return on the investment in the kingdom of God. We make assessments not based off what we're comfortable with, what we see, but based off the mighty work of God that is up to him. And then finally, we look at judgment. Life is not meaningless if there is, in fact, a judge who will, you will answer to to give a measure of account of what you have done. And this is what Solomon will remind us of, and then he will, the entire end of it will remind us that under the sun, without a God, there is an undeniable vanity that cannot be solved. But if there is a sovereign God with a purpose placed on your life and a day that you will meet him, then judgment is part of your purpose. To live in light of how well you are doing by the grace of God to his glory 
He says in verse 7, Truly light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. The days of darkness that will come. So these are not just the rhythms of morning and night. The days of darkness that will come are the day when it fades to black over your life. The day when the plane crashes or the heart monitor flatlines or the person doesn't wake up or whatever tragedy may befall your earthly existence, the days of darkness await you and the vanity that awaits is once you're gone, you can no longer sow the seed. The window is closing and after it closes, he's going to remind us that the way you make sense of all, all of it is by giving your account. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know, be confident, have faith, have an understanding that you measure your life by. But know that all these things, God will bring you into judgment. There will be a grade. There will be an account given of your life. You are not simply living under the sun. You are living a window of time until you go beyond. And there he says, Therefore remove so sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Enjoy your youth. It's fleeting. And what you can do in the meantime is remove evil and remove sorrow, and by the grace of God, live in light of the day that you meet him face to face. So because I've been thinking a lot about Keith Green, I'll share another quote with you that I'm reminded of as I think about what Solomon is saying to us. Keith Green says, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. There's a couple ways you can think about that. One, to reconcile the vanity of life, many people look for comfort in this idea that a life well lived, however you do it, will somehow lead to a better place. It was true in Keith Green's day when he was trying to help people understand there is one way, there is one truth, and there is one life. There's only one entry point into the narrow gate of eternity, and that is the gospel that Christ died for your sins. He gave you newness of life by the power of his spirit, and he gave your name written in the book of life for the day that you meet the Father face to face. That is the only way. So not all roads lead to heaven. But you can also think of it in this. Every road of your life, every office that you inhabit, every title that you wear, everything that you put your hand to do, every resource and responsibility that God has given you to be a steward of will lead to the judgment seat of Christ. I will be judged as a husband, as a father, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a pastor, as someone who is called by God to give him glory. And there will be a day when I give an account for everything I do. And here's the good news. As sure as it is, it's uncomfortable to talk about the abortion tragedy of our generation. It's also uncomfortable to talk about judgment. It's another way that I've been putting something on the screen and it's like, well, we're talking about judgment at church. I came here for a smile and a song. There is no gospel without judgment. It's only good news because you're going to meet your 
maker face to face and you need something hanging over your head that isn't your own track record. But there is no gospel unless you actually believe that there will be the wrath of God poured out on the sin of your life. There will be a judgment for all the ways that you were not a good father, not a good wife, not a good husband, that you failed in every office, title, and category that you held to live perfectly to the glory of God. And we find comfort in the reality that on judgment day, we have heard the message of how to hear well done in spite of all of the failure. This is what it says in Hebrews. And you've been appointed for men once to die. But after this, is judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. The message that you will be judged in your life is a message that precedes the amazing gift of God. That he so loved this world of folly and foolishness and vanity that he sent his son to invade it. And instead of you being judged based off your life, you can actually experience the Spirit of God to where you will receive His righteousness and He takes on your sin. This is the gospel. And wherever you land today, if you want to make sense of this life, you have to know that you are being called to a moment when you give account for your life. And if you think you're going to stand on anything other than Christ, anything other than the righteousness of Christ that was freely given to you by grace, and the desire to glorify God with the call of God on your life, it will be vanity. It will lack any substance. The response will be, I don't know you. Vanity, 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 your whole life. And sadly, that includes this entire exercise. We do not solve the problem of vanity in pews at church. I don't solve the problem of vanity from behind a pulpit. All of this could be meaningless if I am not born again by the power of God's spirit and then walking in the newness of life to the glory of God, I can do a lot of things that look meaningful, but in the end, they will be smoke. So make sense of your life. You have a couple options. You throw up your hands in the air. There's nothing you can do, no wealth that you can keep. There's no power that won't turn on its head. There's no amount of pleasure that won't be fleeting. So you can throw up your hands and say, do I even need this class? Or you can allow God to expose to you all of the ways that your life has not aligned with his perfect will for your life. His perfect will, his perfect call. He's given you a spirit with gifts to give him glory. He's given you good works for you to walk in. if you want your life to have any value in your short window before tragedy befalls you, invest in his kingdom. Take whatever you know, the truth of his word, the power of prayer, and start using it. Stop looking for the perfect circumstance where the wind and the culture and the climate is going to greet you with open arms. And they're going to thank you for the message. They're going to have you sit down at a feast and praise you like you're some sort of God sent from heaven. 
Rejoice when they persecute you and say all sorts of evil against you for his name's sake. They did so to the prophets. Rejoice when you find the narrow way that is hard and is difficult. Rejoice when God gives you a trial but the faith to have joy. Rejoice when he opens up a door for your life to mean something now so that you can have treasures in eternity forever. It's a decision that you must make before God. Some of you here today, you need to hear the message that tragedy will befall your life. You've come to church. You've heard the message. You're thinking about how it's going to look to your coworkers and your friends, and you're not quite so sure. Today is the day of salvation. Accept God into your life, and he will take care of the rest. He'll teach you his word. He'll teach you to pray. He will surround you with believers. Stop looking for the perfect weather to make a commitment to the kingdom. Others of you, all of us from time to time, the only way your life matters is if you are living radically for God. So as you hold the cup representing his blood and the bread representing his body, it says to examine your heart. He would do this in a worthy manner. Today, we celebrate the good news that every single one of us can come stand under the banner of God's grace and know that there will be an amazing return on anything we give to God. Anyone who tries to save their life will lose it, but if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. Don't you know, little children, it's your, it's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. When you hold these elements today, not only are you holding the free gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins by the grace of God, but you hold your commitment to the cross of Christ. Anyone who desires to follow me must pick up their cross. Let's stand and we're going to have a song of worship and then Connor's going to come back up and lead us in communion. Connor. I'll I'll be praying for what you have to share. Sow the seeds of truth and boldness. God, thank you for this word. We thank you for just your grace to allow us the, the ability to have a life well lived. Thank you for every opportunity, every moment of grace that allows us to serve you and love you and be part of your kingdom's work. God, give us boldness for such a time as this. Give us a willingness to leave all, to follow you. There is nothing in this world that is worth missing out on your good works you've prepared. And help us to keep our day of judgment in mind with excitement and joy when we get to meet you face to face and hear well done. In your name we pray, amen.